You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Murder, romance, scandal. My favorite things. Dispatch by Breakout Games delivers all of that and more straight to your home. Told through clues that you receive in the mail, the story draws you in to solve a crime over several months of interactive investigation. I've been playing with Rebecca for a few months, and trust me, this is pure crime-solving gold. It is. Intrigued? Satisfy your curious mind with 50% off your first delivery. Go to breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and use the code crime to subscribe today. This episode is sponsored by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multi-dimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com and use the promo code writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and this week, a true crime podcast with a serious dose of politics. Slow Burn, a look at the Watergate stories you've probably never heard. Joining me to dive into all that is my true crime co-author and the Woodward to my Bernstein, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. There's a deep throat joke in there somewhere that I'm just going <laughs> to let lie. Maybe instead we should just highlight that you are the host of These Are Their Stories, A Law and Order podcast. How about that? You can do that. Yeah. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and sleep-deprived cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, yeah. They are running wild. We have our Christmas tree up tied to the wall. Um, <laughs> so far, so good. But it, it could get ugly here pretty quick. It's your fault, Laura. It's all your fault. You had to get two. <laughs> and now the one that I thought was so mellow, now that he's feeling better after his like three rounds of antibiotics, he's the wild one of the bunch. Yeah. So yeah. Um, things are going to get even worse here. And finally, the man who needs no introduction, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and the co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, our favorite cynic, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. What's the rumble, Rebecca? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Toby, uh, pony boy, uh, the rumble is that apparently our friend Laura Bricker I heard a rumor that she is having a cow <laughs> named after her. What? WTF, Laura Bricker. <laughs> yeah. So last week, I can't remember if I told you guys this, I was out doing a story about the retiring commissioner of agriculture and um, was talking with her son this week, following up about our mutual friend, the kindergarten teacher, who once had a cow named after her out mm-hmm. at the farm because they have 400 cows. And he said, well... I think it's time to have a cow called Laura. So there are some cows due to have calves very soon. So Laura the cow could soon be entering the world. Is it going to be Laura the cow or Laura the cow? <laughs> it's going to be Laura the cow because they know how to say my name. At over 400, the they could have one of each. <laughs> Maybe they should name one Clara Pockets and then we'll know where she went. <laughs> <laughs> we got rid of the crime writers kittens maybe we need the crime writers cows now maybe everybody needs that's a what cow. people want to see on facebook now a million photos of <laughs> cows no swearing at the beginning of the show kevin oh, okay no swearing at the beginning of the show we we got a really angry uh hate mail from one of our listeners this week uh who said she's been with us since the beginning her name is kathy and she is stopping listening because my apparently only my 
swearing has gotten out of control. And I'm guessing it's because I dropped an MF bomb at the beginning of last week's show. Ah. <laughs> so, Whoa. sorry, Kathy. I really hope you give us a second and third and fourth and fifth chance. I can't Apparently promise. she can't hear you. She's already gone. I know. I can't promise that I'm going to swear less, but I can promise to try to do it less at the top of the show. <laughs> Maybe not with a extra hard swears. I don't know. I don't know. So, Toby, what have you been up to this week? Anything interesting going on that's bovine in your life? Yeah, there's a lack of bovine activity. Uh, My daughter's going to be Cinderella in the middle school play. Oh, Oh, Sadie. There's quite a bit of uh, hubbub around that. That That's a lot of hubbub. That's not a a little bit. She's a star. Is this a musical version? Yeah, it's like Rodgers and Hammerstein Mm -hmm. or whatever. But she... uh, Toby sounds so enthusiastic. <laughs> no, well, she she had a hundred and two fever over the oh. weekend, mm. so oh. she's been like sick and like yesterday she sounded like gold in my ear or something. She was like, <laughs> and uh, so it's like, okay, just don't talk, drink lots of tea, take all these antibiotics. Aww. So you know, we're trying to whip her into shape. Well, if I feel any better, Toby, we once saw. A production of a musical production of Cinderella at my wonderful stepdaughter's elementary school. She is a Catholic school attendee, and I learned uh, at that performance that apparently there are no speech pathology services in Catholic school because every single member Uh-oh. of the cast had a lisp or other speech impediment. So you know it it can't be worse than that performance of Cinderella. Was. No, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think I'm I'm excited for it. We got a lot of uh, family coming to visit to watch. Well, that's very exciting for Sadie. I'm very excited for her. Um, And I just want to say to our listeners, just getting back to Laura's cow thing for a second. Yeah, please do. If you don't follow her on social media, you are missing out on the bucolic New England AF situation that she lives in this time of year. (laughs) She lives in, what's that town from This A Wonderful Life? Bedford Falls. Like She lives in Bedford Falls. She does. She she lives... In a town that has a Christmas parade. Christmas, <laughs> yes. I rode in the fire truck alone. last weekend and I, I waved to people from the fire truck. Yes. Ah. I saw. It is it's really, really something. So if you've never been tempted to follow Laura Bricker on Twitter before to see <laughs> the pictures of her bucolic New England lifestyle, aside from the cow being named after her, this is a good time to do so. And Toby, I do hope that you share more about your daughter's theater experience with us we'd love to hear and see more yes. about it i'll give it the i'll give it the full uh full-on review well i'm not going to review it but i'll give you the description of it uh, and last week on crime writers on we totally tear apart the middle school musical that toby's daughter is performing in. everything was good until the fairy godmother yeah. came on <laughs> kevin how do you think about the story arc is the unreliable narrator in the uh, middle school musical of it, it really dragged in the second act <laughs> Just really wanted him to get to the glass slipper for crying out loud. It was so misogynistic how she kept waiting for that prince to save her. Yeah. I mean, keep trying to figure out, you know, do I love you because you're beautiful or are you beautiful because I love you? I don't know. It, just was, it was so confusing. 
<laughs> oh, sorry, Sadie. And sorry, Toby. Yeah, but That's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to We're not actually going to do that. All right. So, Kevin, one more programming note. I want to just throw out a call to listeners. We are working on some future shows in which we're going to be talking about other pop culture things around true crime and podcasting and television and so you forth. You mean this isn't the last show? No, it's not the last show. But a couple of things on our list okay. right now. There's two Netflix things that we're going to be talking about in future episodes, A Voyeur and uh, the series Godless, the Western series. And we would love to hear from listeners about podcasts, TV shows, other media that you'd love to hear us talk about on the show. Shoot us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Pitch us your ideas or go to the Crime Writers On official Facebook discussion group and let us know what you want to hear us talk about. We have a nice long list, but um, we want to talk about what you want to hear us talk about. So let us know. All right, so Kevin, to kick off the show tonight, can you read this for me? True Crime Update. Last week, I joked that although a judge had denied making a murderer, Stephen Avery, a shot at a new trial, we weren't going to go into the details because, frankly, Avery's lawyer, Kathleen Zellner, has turned this appeal from being something that we really wanted to follow closely to a bit of a circular circus. I'm going to describe it. Um, but apparently, I think they're... the word jerk goes in there <laughs> someplace. Oh. It's yeah. very close to the top yeah. of the show, though, Kevin. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a good allusion to what yeah. I wanted to say. Um, but there is one aspect of that case that we didn't touch on, and um, I wish we had. So, Laura, I'm going to correct a wrong here and give you a chance to fill us in. What happened? in this latest round of the Stephen Avery slash Making a Murderer case. Well, Rebecca, don't you always love to get mystery flowers from secret (laughs) admirers delivered to your office? I do. But (laughs) actually, that's never actually that's never actually happened to me. But this week it did happen to the judge in the case against Stephen Avery, Sheboygan County Circuit Judge Angela Sutkowitz. Um, So the judge told attorneys in the case that a, quote, individual sent a floral arrangement to the courthouse on November 29th addressed to me, and the flowers contained a card which said, best wishes from your admirers at SAIG, Stephen Avery is guilty. Mm. Uh, The card and flowers were sent the day after the judge denied a motion filed by Avery's lawyer, the, as we were just discussing, Energizer Bunny of motion filing, Kathleen Zellner, who had asked the court for an evidentiary hearing. So members of, there's actually, I guess, a Reddit sub, Stephen Avery is guilty, have so far not claimed responsibility for the flowers, even though that was sort of what was hinted um, when this came out. Some on Reddit claim that another Avery supporter, possibly a member of the rival group, TikTok Manitowoc, Mm, may have sent the gift as a hoax, while others think either Avery or Kathleen Zellner could be behind it. So it's great mystery. It's almost as great as the mystery of Clara Pockets at this point. (laughs) Nothing is as great as that mystery, Laura. Nothing is as serious. Well, this gets good because I started reading their local newspaper who had some really good information. So the judge contacted the sheriff's department in a, quote, abundance of caution. And the sheriff's department determined that the sender is neither a party to the case nor representing a party in the case. So that means Zellner and Avery are allegedly out. Um, The judge rejected it and sent it back to the floral shop. So here we've really got some gritty details here from the local newspaper. The flowers were purchased from Hoffman's Flowerland Mm. in Sheboygan, Mm. delivered to the courthouse. Sources, this is like deep throat here, deep throat of Manitowoc County told the Rock River Times that the flowers were purchased with cash. Mm. And that the law enforcement officials have a description of the customer. Was the so, cash all in sequential numbers? 
<laughs> so they are honing in on the flower person. And this was, I, I learned something new also. This was not the first time that a judge in the ongoing Stephen Avery, Brandon Dassey um, cases has received communication, which caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. Do you guys remember Brandon Dassey wrote a letter to the former judge, Jerome Fox, complaining against Len Kaczynski? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And Dassey wrote, P.S., me and my mom think you're a good judge. <laughs> That's right. I actually do remember so. that detail. Yeah. <laughs> What is the issue here, Laura? Like, if you like, like let, let's 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 take the Avery case out of it because, listen, I still have my opinion about Stephen Avery. I don't hundred percent know whether or not he's innocent or guilty. I lean toward yes. innocent only because of like so much that has gone on with this case and that department and stuff. But I, I don't really know. But I do know that a seated judge in a case isn't somebody you should be communicating yeah. with about that case, right? No, absolutely not. And and judges, I believe there's, you know, some sort of ethical guidelines that say they can't accept gifts, especially in a case like this where it's related to a case that they're involved with. Um, so, no, communicating with a judge is absolutely a no-no for a defendant in the middle of a case, unless it's something where you're in the courtroom and the judge is directly questioning you. But what about outside parties communicating with a judge? I mean, how is that? I mean, is this is this like substantially different i'm just curious kevin what do you think i think like, th- well i think you walk in the courtroom with the flowers and you say your honor may i approach here's my like question for you kevin because obviously there's like it's a problem here yeah and it ties to a lot of things it ties to sort of the social media role and trying to be advocates and in, in, in an active way mm-hmm. on the side yeah. of the case yeah. and by the way full disclosure i follow both the Stephen Avery is guilty and TikTok Manitowoc subreddits because I, I just think it's interesting to see the articles and stuff that are posted on Reddit and I'm a big Redditor. But like imagine you're a judge in a case. Imagine you're a judge in the Adnan Syed case right. like deciding the right. appeal or whatever and you go to a gym and somebody who's like working out that you know like comes up to you and wants to talk to you about it like – what are you supposed to do as a judge? And is the person who did that at fault? And why is that you're, a problem? You're supposed to report it to the uh, all the parties. Uh-huh. And then make a determination whether it rises to the level of disqualification. That the judge would be disqualified? Well, the judge might have to recuse him or herself if, you know, something... Someone sent him a Porsche instead of flowers? Yeah. Now, it's, <laughs> it's funny because... Now, <laughs> one might as- assume that the uh, the sender thought that with the final ruling that this judge, you know, that, that that's the end of it. And uh, Avery is never going to be in front of this judge again. And so a token of appreciation uh, would be fine and not seen as something trying to influence, but something that came afterwards as a as a, you know, a token of appreciation. Right. But the problem is that it can be construed by either side as, you know, accepting a gift interference. or interfe- yeah, you know, some at- attempt to curry favor ex parte. But as I recall, during the O.J. Simpson trial, right. you know that Judge Ito collected hourglasses. Yes, and he was receiving that. He was apparently receiving them, receiving all sorts of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, fan mail from people across the country. I think when you think about it, it's like, yeah, that's why that's not proper. Toby, when you were doing your due diligence as a citizen and you were sitting on a jury in that famous timber taking trial that we've often talked about on the show... <laughs> How would you yep. have felt if the judge had been receiving flowers and gifts for one side or the other during the case you were a, a jury member for? I would have been furious. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole Avery thing, like I know we're trying to divorce this from the from the specifics of Avery, but 
it, it seems like everybody involved in that like does the wrong thing constantly. <laughs> if there's a way to screw it up. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like a combination of, I guess, just getting bad advice mm-hmm. and people sort of turning on each other and then... You know, people just not having, I, I don't know if it's not being savvy. Uh, I mean, that's certainly part of it. But then the thing with the flowers, I mean, what the hell? Yeah. We have heard that Making a Murderer Season 2 is going to come out at some point. So maybe mm-hmm. the answers to all these questions will be in there. And I just want to say for the record, you know, I, I feel like when I laugh around this case, I don't want to come off as like not caring about these two men who are in prison and maybe wrongfully convicted. I definitely think Brendan Dassey like mm-hmm. was wrongfully convicted like he should be out like he was completely screwed I'm less sure about Stephen Avery but he does deserve a fair process I just don't feel like he's getting one now I don't think his lawyer is helping him and I don't think this whole thing around it is helping either him or the system around him and it's just it's a shame it's just a real shame all right Kevin uh, I mentioned one of these earlier but can you just please announce this one for us hate mail yes as I mentioned earlier we did get that hate mail from listener Kathy my swearing and mine alone, apparently. Very offensive. Sorry, Kathy. But... Eat me, Kathy. <laughs> we also got a little bit of critical hate mail on Twitter from a listener at CFS. She was not happy with our overall review last week of Alias Grace. Now, as a reminder to listeners, uh, Toby and Laura were thumbs up on Alias Grace. Kevin and I were thumbs down. Now, I don't know who CFS is. But I did do my best to compile her tweets and I got a robot to read them for us so we can just hear what she had to say about our review of Alias Grace. And then let's just take a listen and and then talk about it afterwards. Okay, crime writers on. The one important thing about Alias Grace is that it demonstrates how women are justified in being two-faced, telling men what they want to hear because we are trapped and controlled by them. How rare such treatment of the female consciousness is on TV. Toby is right. It's about the exploitation of women. Power balance. Ugh. It's not just historical. (laughs) At Red Lavoy, I can't believe you thumbs down Alias Grace. I think it's really important to have high-profile media that shows how women are forced to fictionalize their lives and selves in order to survive in this world. Hashtag heartbroken. (laughs) Wow, at Kevin P. Flynn. Quote, not a great series. Jesus. I can't even. Oh my God, crime writers on. You didn't like Alias Grace? It didn't resonate with you? Actually mad at you all for the first time in a while. If a Toby Ball NH agreed, I'ma lose it. At Reblavoy. I can't believe you. Blavoy? <laughs> at Reblavoy, yeah. So uh, at CFS, you know, we've tweeted more about this since, but yeah, she was pretty up in arms about our review. Now, one of the things that I take a little bit of umbrage with Kevin, do you agree with me that like we understood the higher message that this show was trying yes, to convey? Yes, yes, and I think we talked about that. Yeah, that we un- that we understood the points that the writers and the directors were trying to make, mm-hmm. and that the source material made, mm-hmm. and it was a question of whether or not we thought it worked. Right, right. And Toby and Laura were thumbs up. I was thumbs. Up. I, said, I liked the last two episodes. I thought they were better than the rest of it, but. What can I say? I I'm sorry. You know, oh. People aren't supposed to agree with everything that we say. No, no, and I, I think it's fair. I, I think that what's what it comes down to, and, and Toby, you articulated that the show does have a very strong feminist message, and CFS apparently appreciated your thoughts on that. But, Toby, do you think it's fair to be critical of shows with a message that is important as the one this tr- one is trying to convey? Um, do you think it's fair to be critical with the same lens through which we criticize everything, namely things like production style, pacing, writing, 
costuming, acting, or do you think we should hold them to a lower standard because they are quote unquote important? Like, I'm just curious to know what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, hold them to a much, much lower standard. <laughs> yeah. The better stuff should be at a lower standard. Don't be critical. <laughs> I think, and if there's something like the last month has shown us, is that, you know, the industry within which, you know, this was made is not one that's conducive to feminist you know, artistic products, right? right, right. You know, it's it's a misogynistic, unfortunately, uh, system. You know, not not through and through, but but you're kind of swimming against the tide if you're trying to make something that's sort of quote unquote genuinely feminist. So I, I do think that it's not so much that you hold it to a lower standard, but the fact that something like that can kind of emerge. I think in and of itself is sort of that might be. I mean, I don't want to put words into her mouth, right? But I think that that's part of it is is that you can't just dismiss it the same way you could dismiss something that you weren't that crazy about, but it was just completely within sort of the the general kind of product that you get these days. I understand what you're saying, and then I look at a show like Handmaid's Tale, also a Margaret Atwood show, you know, based show, also a lot of women involved in that project. It was just a better show. It was better executed. Westworld had a lot of feminist themes. It was just better executed. I think it's really pro-feminist to look at a product that was created by women, that it is a story about the woman's experience, as I completely understand, by the way, uh, to this Twitter follower. I know that's what it was supposed to be about. I totally got it. I don't think it was executed super well, as well as some other shows that we've talked about that have the same message and the same themes. And Laura, it sounds like you agree with me on that. No, I agree. I mean, and that's the thing is I I got the message, you know, and I I gave it thumbs up. I think I gave it kind of like a meh thumbs up because like I liked it. I didn't love it. I just felt like the production quality wasn't um, the Handmaid's Tale was just really beautiful to watch in terms of just the way that everything was laid out and the scenes and the scenery and the lighting. Um, It was just a different kind of experience where as Alias Grace um, I think I had said last week, it felt like I was watching something like 10 or 15 years ago. Right. Um, so it's not that I didn't like it. It just wasn't done the same way as some of these other shows that we have watched. Right. Now, the same listeners said we underplayed the quality of the performances. I will weigh in and say I think Sarah Gadona and a Paquin, Rebecca Lydiard as Mary, Paul Gross as Thomas Kinnear, Zachary Levi as Jeremiah, all really good. I didn't love Edward Holcroft as Dr. Jordan, but... Uh, Performances overall were good. And um, Kevin, when somebody cares so much about a piece of media, when you hear that somebody like really cares. You mean like all caps really cares? (laughs) All caps really cares. uh, Would you be willing to watch it again with a new set of eyes? Yes or no? Uh, I don't know if I would watch it, literally watch it again. But like, would I reconsider it? I I don't think I'm like going to go and say, oh, yeah, I like it now. Right. However, there are times, and I'm thinking specifically of like when we did Mm S-Town, there was that one episode that talked about John's uh, sex Closeted life. Closeted gay sex life. Yeah, yes. and whereas we had discussions about, you know, like how much time was spent on this and the fifth, you know, the, sort of the larger narrative themes, you know, it, it kind of like really sort of missed the whole thing that it, it like, like what it meant to hear that story for people who are gay or lesbian or have, were closeted during that that time period. It, it it hit on a sort of a different frequency for them right. that I didn't know of and wasn't aware of, and it was great to sort of hear that. Mm-hmm. So I would like reconsider that. It, it doesn't make me like it more or less, but I do have an appreciation for like okay, that's a really important thing 
to them. Right. And I think I, I under like in my heart, I knew like for people that are like really pro feminist that they're going to see a lot in this thing that in this series that they really like. And I can appreciate that objectively, although I may not have sort of the, you know, the same visceral reaction. I think I think it's fine. So if there are stories that, you know, just taste like hamburger, it's like, you know, but what I really want is steak. Right. Which is why I like Omaha steaks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Omaha steaks are one of the best gifts that you can get for the holidays. And you can get them now with just a click of a mouse. You can. Yeah, let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and about how for only $49.99, you can get the family gift pack when Mm. you go to omahasteaks.com and enter code CRIME Crime. in the search bar. So that's 75% off. What? Wait, wait, what? 75% off. 75% off. And this is what you're going to get. You're going to get two filet mignon, Mm -hmm. two top sirloin, two boneless pork chops, four chicken breasts. Four kielbasa sausage, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha seasoning packet, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> no, no partridge. Oh, wow. but you do get a, a four additional kielbasa sausages for free. So that is an awful lot of meat. It's a to- lot of food. Toby, I know you got to sample a little something from Omaha Steaks. What did you eat? I had uh, some chicken, which was delicious. Well, we had some of the steaks, and we had the apple. What was the apple tart? Caramel apple tartlets. Oh, those were so good. So good. I was really surprised that so much other kinds of food was available from Omaha Steaks. I thought it was just steak. I didn't even get chicken and apple tartlets and all that stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah, just take it out of the freezer, let it thaw. It's funny. This is like something I learned. I love the filet, but you are more of a fan of top. Totally. I'm a sirloin fan. Better flavor. I don't care about tenderness. I care about flavor. Well, I think after you, you go through all this stuff, the pork chops, the sausage, the kielbasa, you can decide that you like everything that That's Omaha true. Steaks has to offer. So go to omahasteaks.com and put the code CRIME, crime. in the search bar and get a 75% savings. That's a lot of, it's that's a a lot of percentage. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> they are. That's, uh, like, that's like John David Booter percentage right there. <laughs> it's like they're trimming the Wait, fat. how much was all this? So for forty nine ninety nine, and it's 75% off with the regular prices you're going to get, again... The filet, the sirloin, the pork chops, the chicken breast, the sausage, the burgers, the potatoes, the apple tartlets, uh, and the kielbasa. It's like $200 worth of stuff for 50 bucks. It's incredible. $49.99. Incredible. Yeah, so enter code CRIME, CRIME to get those savings. What a good deal. That's a John David Booter level deal right there. Yes, although I'm still not happy with John David Booter <laughs> about what he had to say about Brooklyn and Sheets. <laughs> I'm just saying, I would never do in Brooklyn and Sheets the what things he did that in he Brooklyn did. And Sheets, but we do love our Brooklyn and Sheets. Absolutely. Buying great sheets is an easy way to upgrade your nightly routine. Do the, it. The right sheets can make or break a good night's sleep or and help marriage. you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. <laughs> it's, this is the only thing keeping our marriage together, can folks. I, can I tell you what Brooklyn I love about the Brooklyn and Sheets? I'm going to throw my personal endorsement in right now. Is it, my, is it possible I could stop you? These are the only sheets where we make the bed together and <laughs> I don't want to kill you because they're so well designed. The seams are clearly in the right place. The pillowcases are beautifully designed. You The, the duvet cover is smartly done. You and I can make the bed together and I don't want to kill you when we use Brooklyn and Sheets. The secret is we got pinched right yeah. sheets, so I know which direction Up to, and down. to put it down. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Brooklyn and Sheets were named the winner of the best of online betting category for good housekeeping. Sounds about right. Speaking of good housekeepers, Laura Bricker, 
talk to me, girl. Uh, about cleaning my house or about my Brooklyn and sheets? <laughs> about your Brooklyn and sheets. <laughs> well, I think I mentioned this last week, and I actually tweeted out some photos. Our new kittens really like to climb in the bed under the sheets, and... Um, so they are definitely cat-friendly sheets, and they are holding up to the cats. These are um, high-quality sheets that are not being, you know, worn down by pets rolling around on them um, like some others that I've had. And they're just super comfortable. I feel like I'm sleeping in a hotel when I have these on. That's, um, yeah, that's the inspiration, too. When the founders of the company put together Brooklyn and Sheets, they had been inspired by a night in a luxury hotel yep. in Vegas. Uh, we have like the two hotel experiences. We have both the crispy regular kind and we have the luxe kind. Mm-hmm. And when you switch them, it's like the crispy sheets and then like the satin sheets. It's very exciting. It's I like love you it. checked out of one hotel and gone on to another. And both are awesome. I love my Brooklinen sheets. And now you can too. Go to brooklinen.com. $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CRIME, crime. at Brooklinen. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try for yourself or as a gift this holiday season. Give the gift of luxury sheets. No one has to know that you got $20 off and free shipping. When you used promo code CRIME, crime. at Brooklyn and B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CRIME. Crime. Brooklyn and these are the best sheets ever. They really are. They, they like, for God's sake, they really are. I love them so much. All right. Now we're going to move on to our feature podcast of the week. It proves that what is old is new again. Slate's Slow Burn, a Watergate podcast, is an historical crime story of a political nature. Leon Nafok brings us back to the days of Watergate, but the series doesn't rehash the headlines of Nixon's downfall. Slow Burn instead takes a look at interesting stories relegated to footnotes, but that deserve their own retelling. The series doesn't go out of its way to draw lines between the Watergate investigation and today's Russia investigation, but it's not afraid to highlight the occasional parallel between yesterday's news and today's and between the way we felt yesterday and the way we felt today. Now, as usual, as we're doing on our podcast these days, if you want to skip our detailed, probably spoiler filled conversation about Slow Burn and just skip to the part where we tell you thumbs up, thumbs down on whether or not you should listen to this new podcast from Slate, you can take a look at the show notes and I will put a timestamp there to where you should skip to. Now, I want to start with a really simple question. I'm going to go around the horn quickly on this because we talk a lot on the show about production value and style. Um, I think the show is cleanly and simply and straightforwardly produced, and I really, really appreciate it. Am I the only one who noticed that on this panel? Uh, Toby, do you notice that the show is simply and cleanly and straightforwardly produced and just the way that it should be? Oh, uh, yeah, Definitely. What about you, Laura? Do you enjoy the way this podcast is put together? Leon Nay Fox narration, use of music, the way they use audio. Do you think it's clean, simple, and beautiful? Or is that something that only I notice? No, no, I definitely noticed it because it's something that I think listening to as many podcasts as we do, you definitely pick up on it when there's a podcast. You're like, oh, okay, these people are doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so Kevin, you know, this is a subject dear to my heart because a lot of journalism outlets put out a lot of these shows. Mm -hmm. And this one is a difficult uh, story to tell because it all happens in the early 1970s. Right. (laughs) And so we're talking about historical tape. We're talking about narration of events that... They have to make a decision like, do does the audience already know this or don't they already know this? And I think this podcast in its narration and its production style and its use of sound is doing a good job 
being straightforward about what they assume we know, what they think we don't know. And I think Leon Nafok in particular is writing himself really well as a narrator in the story. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think back, you know, every day when I was in a newsroom, my um, thing that I would, when I was news director, I would say to the staff is, if you can't tell me something new, tell me something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so there's really nothing new to talk about with Watergate. So the idea that instead of like, we're, we're going down and, you know, doing the Ken Burns Civil War version to find these stories that have been lost to history these uh, tangents and, and, you know, building something out of them, I think is a great way to go because it's, you know, drawing the picture from the outside in mm-hmm. instead of the inside out. And I also think, you know, one of the things uh, I, I think it's designed for, and he says, so, is it Leon? Leon Nafok, yeah. That's how you say his last name? Nafok, yeah. I only, insider information, I have, there's a reason I know that. Leon Nafok is somebody I booked probably four dozen times on the public radio talk show I used to work on. Uh, he's been a longtime reporter. He's worked at Slate for a while, and he's always written and done very interesting things, and we used to book him a lot. So that's how I know how to pronounce his name, Leon Nafok, yeah. All right. <laughs> and you can say Nafok on uh, public radio yeah. and not get beeped? Okay, it's just not ch- Nafok. I'm just saying yeah. it's, it's it's a hair away. <laughs> um, I forgot the fuck I was going to what the Nafok I was going to say. <laughs> Well, how about we get into the story then? All right. Uh, the story starts in an interesting place. The first episode centers on Martha Mitchell. She is the wife of the attorney general at the, during the Nixon administration, John Mitchell. And she is painted as this media savvy, regular talk show appearing socialite, Washington, D.C. wife who enjoyed gossiping with reporters and talk show hosts about life in D.C. And then when the Watergate break-in happens, she knows enough about it to become dangerous to the insiders. And they basically kidnap her and keep her prisoner in a hotel room and uh, inject her with tranquilizers to keep her quiet, especially when she tries to call famous reporter uh, Helen Thomas to tell her story. Mm. Laura Bricker, what did you think of Martha as a place to start the story, as the first story to tell in this podcast? I love Martha. She is like my kind of girl. I love the fact that she was sneaking down the stairs, eavesdropping, and always trying to figure out what was going on. I was like, I, I could get behind what Martha was trying to do. So I, I liked it. And and I, I liked that we're starting with somebody that isn't somebody that I was familiar with. But it's definitely kind of a window into what was going on with this story before it actually really broke. Mm-hmm. And that there were people that were actually sounding the alarm behind the scenes and suspect of what was going on. And I just thought she was such a fun character. I even loved like, was it J. Edgar Hoover said like, well, she's a, what did he say? A really fun gal or whatever he said was just so, <laughs> you know, I just, she was super swell. I don't know. I just thought it was great. And she was so feisty. Um, but the drugging in the room, I was like, my God, was this like the Scientologist or something? Like, is this where uh, Miscavige's wife is right now? Oh I don't goodness. know. But I mean, it was exciting. So, Toby, I was really interested in the fact that the story started here, right? It didn't start, you know, a year before Watergate happened. It didn't start in the campaign. It didn't start setting up uh, the story, reminding us what we know or what we the, the narrator thinks we know. It just starts with this woman and drops us in. 
What do you think of this technique to sort of start a story, to drop us with a character in a situation like this? Did it work for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, and I, they talk about it a little bit in the episode, which is that taking a look at if you were living at the time, did you have the sense that this was like democracy in crisis? You know, obviously it, the Watergate hearings people did, but but leading up into that, like what, is, what does that seem like? I mean, Watergate is such... Like in hindsight, like I know I'm the oldest of us and I was too young to really be like following it day to day. So in hindsight, you kind of have this story that you know a certain amount about or you don't know that much about. But it's like this narrative that starts with like the break ins and then, you know, on and on and on and and, and revelations and the, the missing minutes and all this stuff. But that's not really the way it was, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these different things that are going on. And that comes up in the second episode, too. So that it's not like this sort of totally linear narrative. There's these different aspects that tie in in different ways. And so, you know, I, I think it set the tone really well in that you listen to the whole thing and it really... You, you realize that you're, what you're not getting is like a recitation of the story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a podcast version of All the President's Men. Right, right. Right. You're getting all these different windows into what happened, but not necessarily. And who knows how it's going to go, but it's sort of more of a mosaic than a movie. Right. Now, one of the things that really interested me, Kevin, was um, now there have only been two episodes so far as of right. this podcast airing. But during this Martha episode, Leon talks about... If we were living through Watergate, would we know it? Yeah. And he interviews Dick Cavett, and there are people who are on the Dick Cavett show talking about how they're addicted, and this is back then, uh, in the period. Gore Vidal, I think. Gore was Vidal, talking, yeah. talking about how they're addicted yeah. to Watergate. They're mm -hmm. addicted, and they're glued to their TVs every night just to get the latest news on Watergate. And, you know, I don't think it's un unusual for America today and for even us in this house that every night we turn on the nightly news to get the latest. Yeah. But, What's happening on this investigation? But, but also remember, OK, now you're the exception to the rule. You work in a newsroom right now, so right. you're getting up, you know, up to the date information. But like in the 70s, we didn't have smartphones and a, uh, an information infrastructure that could could pump you, you know, stuff throughout the day, you really did have to wait until 6.30 rolled around to find out what happened. And it would be a shocker. Mm -hmm. um, I do think like they have like two really great founding principles of this podcast. And one is to ask the question, uh, as you said, if we were living through a Watergate, would we know it? Right. Would we know that we are the toad in the... Uh, you know, in the boiling pot. The frog. The frog in the point. Yeah. <laughs> in my version, it's a toad. Whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yummy. Yeah. Someone said, you know, like, would you would you recognize the devil if you saw him? Not the one with the pointy tail, but the good looking one and looks sl slick and smart the Kevin talking. Flynn. The Kevin Flynn one. The one that tells you everything you want to hear. Would you know him if you actually saw him? Uh, and the other one, the point is that it said this is for the people whose, whose reference to uh, Watergate is only all the president's men. The That's movie. me. Yeah. That's me. That is my That's window. Me. I was born in 1973. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no memory of Watergate except for what I know from all the president's men and from learning about it in high yeah. school. Like, yeah. That's it. So what we're not getting then is the, these were the motives of the bad actors. That was this. That We're getting we may, sort of- but We may, but I think what we're getting more is like the what happened, but from a different perspective. Like from a, like, mm -hmm. people who were addicted to it at the time, the Gore Vidal's- 
For instance, they were paying attention to, to the Martha Mitchell story. They were paying attention to the Wright Patman story in a way that history has not. And he makes that point, I think, so beautifully. And this is what I am loving about the show. It's just the quality of the narrative writing, which is something that we talk about when we hear it and we ignore it when we don't or we shit on it when it's bad like the narrative writing when the narrative writing is is when a host is talking and they are writing for themselves to talk right Mm -hmm. so there is a balance between doing narrative writing you have to forward exposition give the audience information but you also have to impart to some extent why it is you're giving them the information that you're giving them I think the gold standard in narrative podcast writing is the This American Life team. Mm-hmm. I think the narrative expositional writing in Serial season one and season two and in S-Town is the, and in almost every episode of This American Life with those producers is the best of the best. I think the thing that he does in this Martha episode where he talks about Martha and draws a comparison between her and Anthony Scaramucci. <laughs> and he says, the reason she reminds me of him isn't because she's anything like him, mm-hmm. but it's because he was White House communication director for 10 days and she was in the news for a super short period of time. And during the period of time where Scaramucci was in the news, he was all everyone could talk about. And then he was just gone. Mm -hmm. And he said the same thing about Martha. And to me, that is like a great piece of expositional writing. I don't know. To me, that's what makes this better than it could have been like by a lot of degrees. So let's move on to sort of the parallels between the past and the present that the podcast is drawing. Because I think that I think that this podcast may not have hit and may not have been resonant. Oh, I don't know. Three eighteen years months ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Laura? Do you, do you think that the that this works because of when it's being produced, in addition to what they're producing? I do. You know, not to get super political, but I'm one who's like stopped turning on the news because I'm like I just can't take it anymore. But I do think that. There's some definite parallels to what's going on, to put it mildly. And, you know, it kind of gives me a little bit of hope in a way Mm -hmm. when you hear um, some of the comparisons that are being made and um, that eventually things that are going on are going to be outed. But I think that it's definitely for those of us that are living in the current time who weren't old enough or alive when Watergate was happening, really interesting to go back and look at it from those early stages through the eyes of these people who weren't necessarily what you would have thought of as like the key players, but people that were connected to what was happening. Mm. I was really interested in thinking about you a lot, Toby, during the Wright Patman episode, because this is an episode about a congressman in Texas. He's like the head of the banking committee. And he basically thinks he might know what's going on. He tries to basically uncover the whole Watergate cover up and he's thwarted by presidential overreach. I don't think it's a, a, you know, a stretch to say that. But the story of this guy who's a complicated character, Leon just drops the detail like quickly that he was a segregationist. He's a Democrat from Texas. He's trying to do this thing. And I think about the way that you talk about characters put in positions where they're trying to accomplish something and it's 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 either interesting or it isn't. So I don't know why I guess I was thinking about you so much, but I, I thought about the whole bright Patman episode as something that like you might sort of see that way as a character in a situation is trying to accomplish something and being thwarted. I'd love to know just your your thoughts on the episode two of this podcast. I think there's a bunch of things, one of which is 
he's an interesting character himself in that he's he's sort of a what does he call him like the that period's Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. but at the same time he was a segregationist I'm sure considers himself a conservative like I I guess we don't really well, who knows what happens in the Senate in Alabama, but we don't have any like died in the wool segregationists anymore. I don't think in our he's from a different era, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when I was uh, reading Nixon land, you know, it's one of the things that kind of pops out at you is it was more complicated the way the politics went down in that you had these extremely conservative Democrats in the South. And this is when the South was still sort of shaking out. After the Civil Rights Act, conservatives became Republicans instead of as they were historically Democrats down there. And then you also had like quite liberal Republicans, especially in the Northeast. So a guy like Lowell Weicker from Connecticut. So so it's a much different. It's a much more complicated. You can't just look at, say, Republican, conservative, Democrat, liberal to certain degrees. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So there was that. You know, Congress has got these. It's got such weird jurisdictions, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. this was his opportunity to look into something that he had oversight over and knowledge about that he thought might be the key to all this. But this was like the one place where he could really do that. And obviously, he was he was thwarted. And, and they give some like conjecture about why, particularly some Democrats voted against going forward with the investigation, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. Yeah. It's kind of like a good, in some sense, sort of noir story in that it's a guy who just, who, who's on a mission and just gets chewed up by the system. Yeah. And he also, I think one of the things that's interesting about the way that that plays out, Kevin, is that, and this is something that's sort of like reflected, I think, in, in what's going on today is is what we, the way we talk about politicians you know, as being hypocritical, right? Because Leon, mm-hmm. I think, does a good job laying out that, like, the committee basically came down which whether or not they would subpoena all these people in the Watergate investigation. And as it turns out, uh, Padman wanted to subpoena all the right people, <laughs> the people who would later be proven to be, like, the super bad guys in the whole Watergate story. And he had all their names, and he had drafted the subpoena, and all he had to do was get the committee, which, by the way, his party was the majority on the committee, to vote yes on this subpoena. And then he, Nixon, of course, was able to get all these people to not vote by blackmailing them, essentially, was what's implied. But, like, they come out with this reason why, no, we believe in his, we believe in his due process rights. And so all of a sudden, all these, like, people who have all these other reasons for not wanting to do it because they're being blackmailed or, or talking about due process. It's reminiscent of the political discourse now. We talk about hypocrisy. We talk about politicians talking out one side and then the other. And this is a very concrete example. And it's narratively, it makes sense in this podcast, don't you think? The, the one thing about that story is it sort of reminded me of the, oh, it's too close to the election to do this. And this this uh, legal proceeding would politicize it. And I'm thinking of James Comey yep. sitting at home listening with one earbud in <laughs> right now going, oh, really? Yeah. So. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, just it's um, it's an interesting look not only at like people who are no longer here, but at a political process that is also you know a part of antiquity, yeah, as well as a political scandal. 
Well, talking about antiquity, Kevin, how much of this podcast is, is about nostalgia for you? Period nostalgia, you know, looking back at that time in American culture. Oh, yeah. Thinking back to when I was two and I was just like, no, I'm talking I'm so about nostalgic like, I'm talking about for like having ma- f- three channels on I'm television. I'm talking about like a Mad Men style oh. pop Well, no, I actually nostalgia. very much enjoy archival tape and that stuff I, I, I really do like. You know, there's, there's a, a danger for all nonfiction writers which is that you can fall in love with your research and like really get hung up on, if you're writing a, a historical romance, really get hung up on how many buttons were on corsets in the 1800s versus the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And, and then your writing sort of like goes into those kinds of details and it loses the narrative. And you, like I said, you fall in love with the research. And this is one where he sort of allows you to fall in love with those smaller details and make stories out of those. Right. Because we know what the main story is. It's like the same reason you can have a farcical comedy based on Hamlet with Rosencrantz and Gilderstein and Dead because you know what happens in Hamlet. We're going to like, okay, we're going to look at this little thing over here. Right. So it's the, sa- it's, it's the same kind of thing. We're taking a big story that we know and we're just going to let it run mm-hmm. and we're going to like play on the sides with these other things that you hadn't heard of and that's what's going to uh, drive your enjoyment and your knowledge. I'm so glad that you said that because all I can think about when listening to this show is all the stuff you always want to include in our books that our editor tells you to cut. Because you love yeah. learning what movie was playing at the movie theater when the suspect went to the movies. You love learning like what kind of car one of the... Oh, the, the, you're talking about little details. You those, love those are that different. stuff, but yeah, you do. Yeah, I dig, I dig for that stuff. I think it's important to know that when the serial killer met her victim <laughs> in the bar room at the Ashworth Hotel <laughs> on Hampton Beach oh. on, on uh, Valentine's Day that she ordered a Southern Comfort. And you knew what song the DJ was playing? I didn't know. I, I knew the DJ. Yeah, that's right. I just remember he was too loud. The DJ told me, yeah. <laughs> I worked with the DJ on radio for years, so I was like, hey, Dan, what was the story? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, one final thought. Uh, Julia from our Facebook group made an interesting point. She was talking about the parallels between then and now, and she said that Watergate played out over months and months as news stories came out. Players were implicated and then finally led to Nixon. It was a slow burn, if you will. Uh, And today's 24-hour news cycle, where breaking news drives a lot of speculation, opinion, and stories are breaking so quickly that, like, I even hesitate, we're taping this on Tuesday night, to talk about anything in the news today, because by Friday or Saturday when this drops, like, it could be a completely different You may know what those bank records are. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and, And her point is, and I'd love each of your take on this, she talks about the Watergate story as being unifying. In a way, like I think that you would be hard pressed to find an American who doesn't see Nixon as a villain, who knows anything about the story and today's news cycle as being divisive. Yeah, well, I think it's a different, a really different kind of vibe in terms of where people stand politically and how people just get so entrenched now on one side that it literally wouldn't matter what the person they supported did. They would not change how they felt. Um, whether that, you know, publicly or not, they wouldn't change. And I think that you're talking about it being unifying. That's the difference mm-hmm. is that we were still at a point where people would say, yeah, this is right and wrong and this is appropriate and this is inappropriate and um, maybe change, you know, 
and and then feel like okay we've done something good you know something good has come from um what happened in watergate in terms of it being brought out and the resolution and now we can move forward and i think maybe you know it sounds like what you're talking about is people felt a little bit more all on the same page when that happened mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think that we will find ourselves in that same sort of kumbaya moment, um, (laughs) regardless of what happens in the future where we are now. Yeah. Toby, do you think the slow burn leads to less divisiveness and more unification when in a time when America was just getting one story at a time, drips, 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 rather than a gush of information every single day? Uh, Well, I think there's I think there's a bunch of things that are different. Now, just in terms of echo chamber opportunities where you can get your news only that only sort of confirms your sort of innate biases. Mm -hmm. I don't know if at the same point, you know, who knows what's going to happen with all this Russia stuff. Suppose it does go and he, he gets impeached or whatever. Like at the same point that we are now during Watergate, I don't think there was national unity about Mm. Nixon being a bad guy, uh, you know, in hindsight, like after hearings and, and he resigns and, and it's it's pretty conclusive what he did, there's more or less unanimity. And so much of that's so much of sort of the lessons and at least Nixon's personality are so sort of cemented, I think, in the national mind. Right. That it's hard to look back and say, you know, in 1971 or, or whatever, you know, how are the lines drawn at that point? Right. Kevin, what do you think of hearing Nixon say um, during that Wright-Patman episode, it's not the crime oh. that hurts, it's the cover-up that it hurts, it's, it's, it's the cover-up, it's so bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people want to know if their president's a crook. Um, yeah, no, I mean, again, I, and I think Leanne pointed out, like, you know, how prescient it was, right. and uh, it caused... John Dean to go like see the president like WTF Mr. <laughs> president that was pretty ballsy huh mm. I don't know the the times are different um, I, I think the one thing that I that I sort of am disheartened by is the, the use of the term fake news right and the way that it's used to attack legitimate journalism right because if you don't agree with it, you say it's it's fake news. And so, you know, I think for Watergate, one of the things that propelled the system and, and sort of saved what faith there was left in the American system at the time was the fact that the fourth estate did its job. It was the watchdog of government and it, it stood up to the challenge uh, and, you know, what it did for investigative journalism, too, you know. Right. So I just I think it's just too easy to dismiss facts that are contrary to what people believe. You know, the echo chamber that Toby talked about. There are some truths we believe to be self-evident and there are other ones that we think are self-evident and you'll just yell and yell at somebody in a bar and they're just never going to believe you. Yeah. And one of the things that I do and love. And you will never believe them. Right. It goes it, it goes both ways. And one of the things that I do love about, well, first of all, the only thing that can make for me make this podcast better, tipping my hand, is if it were made by the Washington Post. By the way, <laughs> congratulations to Slate on making this show because my friends, it's actually my friend, my co-podcaster at Mom and Dad Are Fighting, by the way, is overseeing part of this show. So like, congratulations to them. I actually didn't know that he was involved before I watched this. But like, the fact that the Washington Post today 
is I think the paper of record for the truth and what's going mm-hmm. on right now and in, in all sorts of areas. I mean, a lot of papers and a lot of outlets, including my own, where I work, are doing really the best work I think possible right now in this climate. And we're seeing sort of a resurgence of belief in journalism. At the same time, we're seeing the fake news narrative going out. It's a really interesting conversation. But the Washington Post, for anyone who has seen all the president's men, was the hero of the Watergate story. And I think today is the paper of record for what is happening in America and just for tracking it and for doing the kind of transparency journalism that we really need and doing the best, I think, job at combating the fake news narrative. There was um, a really interesting video post last week by the Washington Post where you actually, speaking of transparency, got to see um, a reporter being approached by a woman claiming to be a victim in a sexual assault case. And that was very transparent in terms of the reporter, how they handled the situation. So I completely concur, Rebecca. Yeah. And what's interesting is that they made that a story. I think other papers were also approached and the Washington Post did the unusual thing of saying, this was a story we killed. Here's why. And let's show you what happened. And so it was a fascinating piece of journalism. It really was. And it was on the level, I think, of the kind of stuff we saw during Watergate. David Farenhold is the reporter the Washington Post has been leading a lot of their coverage in the last couple of years. And man, that's the paper that if you're going to spend 99 cents a month subscribing to something, that's the one I would choose. If it were me, you can subscribe to whatever you want. But that's what I would subscribe to. All right. Let's go around the horn and uh, give this podcast a review. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you recommend to listeners of Crime Writers On that they listen to Slow Burn by Slate Plus? Technically, it's produced by Slate Plus, uh, but it is Slow Burn by Slate. It's available on uh, everywhere you get your podcasts. Laura Bricker, are you enjoying what you've heard so far? Do you plan on continuing to listen? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Slow Burn? Thumbs up. I am going to keep listening. Um, I love that it's being told through different characters, and I can't wait to hear who the next character is. Uh, Hopefully a pal of Martha's. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Slow Burn from Slate? Yeah, I'm a I'm a history major. It's right up my alley. I think it's really well done. Thumbs up. Uh, same for me. I am enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoyed the top tier podcast we've listened to in this show. Um, I think it is serial level storytelling. I could not be enjoying it anymore, not just for the political intrigue, but for the true crime aspects as well. It's really well done as a true crime podcast. What about you, Kevin? I'm thumbs up. What's not to love about this? <laughs> Have you got shady characters, missing money, shredded documents? Yeah. It all reminds me of the monthly mystery box that I get from <laughs> Dispatch Games called Breakout. Oh, you love Breakout so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a very interesting story that I'm immersed in. My best friend, James Smith, just got married to Victoria Van Crest, the heiress. Mm. But she was killed on the honeymoon in Maui, and now my best friend has done disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a Martha Mitchell in this story? Uh, well, we have to see because every month we get a new box with clues in it. So introducing Dispatch from Breakout Games. They're the pioneers of the immersive escape room. So you get it's an interactive serial mystery that you just break the box out and it has all sorts of clues inside. You're loving it. I love it. It's got newspaper clippings. It's got shredded documents, shredded documents and like things written on napkins people and code rings and people done disappeared. And you <laughs> notice like, hey, somebody's Instagram account. You go on Instagram. Toby, I know you and your daughter are playing this. Yeah, no, it's totally addictive. It's like hard enough. So it's really hard, but not so hard that it's impossible. Mm. I think it it gets it. 
exactly right, at least for, for us. It's been a lot of fun to do. And, like, son of a bitch, if not in one of them, did you, like, literally not get a shredded document <laughs> that you had to put to, back together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, okay, this is just like a jigsaw puzzle. I'll do this. I'll do that. And, and it took it took a while, but it was fun to do. And then I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with with James and why he was acting so mysteriously mm. before don't spoil the wedding. Too much. I don't, I can't spoil too much. Although I think there was a clue right away about his parents that I think just got dropped. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it there. If you're interested, you should satisfy your curious mind with 50 percent off your first delivery. Go to breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and use the code crime, crime to subscribe today. Now, we talked about this in a previous episode. and It was it was we got we, we dropped the episode a little early and they weren't ready with the, the code. Ooh. So our bad. We wanted to bring them back on and say, hey, this is a great game. And now they have the code. You're loving this game. We're lo- absolutely loving this game. And I want my next box, please. Again, it's breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and use the code crime, crime to subscribe today. It's like you can be your own John David Booter. You except can. Except actually solving a real mystery. Like a smart person. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was no cake left over. I was obsessed with where in the world is Carmen Sandiego when I was in elementary school. So this is like the grown-up so version of that. She's so young. All right, Kevin, what else you got? It's almost Christmas, and one of the gifts that I am really excited about giving, as I've been saying, is uh, my book from Wonderbly that I'm going to be Ooh, giving my nephew, you Brandon. Love that book. Yes, and the, the name of the book is called Lost My Name. Mm-hmm. And... It's just one of a variety of personalized books that Wonderbly offers. And it's not just like a, you know, when they say it's personalized, it's not like just like they've got a million of these books in a little white space where they squeeze in Jennifer or... It's like a mail merge. It's not, right, it's not like a mail merge. You've seen these. When we were kids, we had these Yeah, it was things. total BS. <laughs> yeah, it was... This is real. It's a real book with beautiful illustrations with a child's name. And the it illustrations like it was are amazing. Yeah, yes. Beautiful. Yes, and it's different for every kid. It's a legit good book. It's the kind of gift that you'll open for the holidays, Hanukkah or Christmas, where like the kid will then sit there for an hour staring at the book after they open the book. And you want to be the person who gave that book. Yeah, I do. I do. And You want to be the hero. I will be the hero because, like I said, Brendan is too young to read, but he does know how to spell his name. Barely. And so, barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will help him to get all the way That's to the right. end with That's these right. wonderful drawings. Lost My Name, each child's adventure is based on the letters of their name, making every story unique to the child. Each child can follow the letters of their name through the book to discover the story is all about them. It's more magical than a typical personalized book that simply inserts a child's name into a generic story. So go to wonderbly.com, that's W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y, and then enter your little one's name for a full free preview of their story. Check out all the other different books they have too, and then enter code CRIME Crime. at checkout to get 15% off your order. Visit wonderbly.com today. And use the code CRIME. Now it's time for a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. It is my favorite part of this podcast, after all. The newspaper headline says it all. An opossum breaks into a liquor store and gets as drunk an opossum. An opossum? 
A possum. What do you say? Possum. Possum. It says... It's either way. An opossum. That is actually oh. what the animal is called. It's an opossum. Oh, shit. Internet coming to the rescue that on this. That opossum done disappeared. It's actually an opossum, and some people call it possum, but it's opossum. All right, you keep working on that. I'm going to look that shit up. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read the headline again. The newspaper headline says it all. An opossum breaks into a liquor store and gets as drunk as a skunk. Uh, an opossum? O-P-O-S-S-U-M. No, you stick with it. You stick with it. It all went down in Fort Walton Beach, where else? Florida. The wild animal sneaked into the store overnight, knocked a bottle of bourbon off a shelf, and apparently liked what she smelt. The next morning, employees found the possum slash opossum next to the shattered bottle with none of the booze left on the floor. Workers said the marsupial was drooling and disoriented. Instead of offering her some hair of the dog, they pumped the animal full of fluids and when she was sobered up, she was released back into the wild. No details on which spirit she partook of, but we know it wasn't wild turkey. Oh. So, panel, here's my question for you. What other trouble could this hard-partying opossum get into? Oh, can, we, can we get a verdict from dictionary.com? Sure. Right here, here's the mm-hmm. pronouncer. Opossum. <laughs> Say it again. Opossum. Oh, opossum. Opossum. A possum or possum. We're both right. Yes. Okay. Either one's fine. Either one's fine. Possum is a, like a short. See, Toby a, was right a to. Possum. S- a possum. A You sound like our tweeter from earlier this evening. Yeah. All right. So, panel, what other trouble could this hard parting a possum get into? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, I have no idea. I'm thinking a little crazy, dirty dancing um, the next time they get into the hooch. <laughs> what about you, Toby? What other trouble could this hard partying opossum slash possum get into? Scratch tickets. <laughs> <laughs> True fact, that's one of my favorite drunken pastimes. Scratch uh, tickets. Kevin Flynn, what about you? What other kind of trouble could this hard partying possum get into? Uh, late night texting with a muskrat. <laughs> you up? <laughs> New phone. Who dis? Who dis? <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, before we wrap up the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? And it's a possum. We do, and it's not a possum. It is an orange cat. It is not one of our listeners' cats, but so many people sent me this story this week. It is like my favorite story. Max, the library cat in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he had been wandering around. He was a cat that was rescued, but he had been outside a lot before he was rescued by this family. So they just let him kind of wander because that was his thing. But he kept going in the library. And so people put a sign up saying, please do not let in the cat. I guess there was somebody there that was allergic. So this has resulted in all sorts of like little poems being written. People have tried to get the cat a library card. Um, so I, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, my library card, Max the Cat, and it's got a little paw print on it. People are upset. Discrimination against cats. I'm Max's lawyer, and he is filing a cat suit, one Reddit user wrote. So nice. go check out the story. It's a lot of fun. Well, maybe SCOTUS will take up the case in the next session. Who knows? We should probably end yeah. it on that note. Laura Bricker, if listeners want to tweet to you and, uh, I don't know, pitch you their real cats, dogs, opossums for, for cat slash pet of the week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, for listeners want to tweet to you and congratulate you for pronouncing the word opossum correctly, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, for listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you online? I'm opossum. <laughs> I'm at opossum. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if you want to find me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out my other show, HGTV and Me. Please subscribe. It's super fun. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine, fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. Go to our website to sign up for our newsletter. Subscribe now to get exclusive ad-free content from our team from HGTV and also These Are Their Stories, Law & Order podcast at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. If you love this show or any of our other shows, please tell a friend. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Line production for Partners in Crime Media is by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the Podcast Hall of Justice. Did you say possum? <laughs> this show is recorded in the Possum Hall of Justice. <laughs> yeah. The Possum Hall of Justice, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where our own very secret recording system is located. Actually, it's not so secret. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later, later Gator. <laughs> You know how, like, when you get in your car and the iPhone says, 18 minutes to work, moderate traffic. I got in the car, and I backed out, and it said, 20 minutes to Panera. Nice. It's like, it thinks, oh, it's Tuesday. (laughs) You're going to Panera. Right. I'm like, fuck me, big brother. You have a problem. Yeah. You have a problem. And your iPhone knows it. This episode is sponsored by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com and use the promo code writers. Hey, listeners, you can check out extra content from Crime Writers On, plus early drops of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, and HGTV and Me with no ads by subscribing to Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime to subscribe and you'll get one month free for a whole lot of additional Partners in Crime Media content, including... Our new podcast is exclusive to Stitcher Premium called Married Married with Podcast. You sound so enthusiastic. Yep, it's called Married with Podcast, and it's great. Check it out at stitcherpremium.com slash crime Crime. and use the code CRIME at checkout for a free month.